you're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It's the next episode of the Fearless Business Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Waite, the Fearless Business Coach. And we are blessed. We've got a fantastic guest today in Lorna Reeves, who is the founder of My Oh My Events. Welcome to the podcast, Lorna. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So um, you've, you've founded My Oh My Events, uh, and obviously events have you know, taken a massive um, uh, turn, haven't they, over the last six months. It'd be remiss to give a, not give a nod to covid but obviously this meant that you had to kind of transition your business quite dramatically. Um, but talk to us about what's going on in the online event world at the moment. Oh, everything, everything is happening um, at the moment. Um, it, suffice to say, if you've not got a footprint in the online world, you're probably not going to make it the next six months. Um, even in the last six months, the software is changing. The um, options that are open to you are massively changing. Um, I think we, as my my events, are on uh, nine different platforms of delivery for our clients at the moment and trying to keep up with the releases that are almost weekly um, are pretty phenomenal at the minute. But there's nothing, which is really exciting for me, there's nothing you can't do online that you couldn't do face-to-face short of hug someone which is just not approved anywhere at the moment um there's that's pretty yeah there's pretty much nothing you can't do in the online space with the right platform at the moment so so what you mentioned about kind of like what you know what's going on at the moment and why not being online is going to be sort of a detriment to a small business uh, you know and we're talking here sort of you know our audience is coaches consultants and freelancers and i know that a lot of people are quite kind of fearful of of you know jumping onto zoom and actually doing multi-person events when in my opinion it's one of the best sort of marketing platforms that are available to us at the moment but what what do you think are kind of some of the simple ways that people can get started um you know if they are a little bit fearful at the moment in terms of kind of taking their event what they do online I would say baby steps. First, start off with rather than having phone calls with your clients, you should be having video conference calls with your clients. The sooner you get more comfortable just stopping and starting calls, transactional calls between you and me, the quicker you find your way around a platform and you find that muscle memory. So then that when you do go to do a five person event, you're not worried about where do I find my mute button? Where do I find my share button? You're on that already. So that then you can scale up to thinking about webinars. How do I do what I do in a bigger way? So you're taking tiny incremental steps each time. I also would really have a think about the feel of your event. Um, So don't just say, right, I'm going to shift my face-to-face event and I'm going to move it to Zoom because I do my pub quiz on Zoom and I know how to use that one. Think about what feeling do you want to give your people, your attendees, your clients at the end of that session? So when I used to work in face-to-face events, we might go back there, um, we very much worked in 4D. So we look at tackling people's senses on multiple levels. If you can tap into someone's memory and their senses, your brain will tie the two together and they walk away remembering more of your material, which is ultimately what you want. There's no point in teaching a five-hour webinar and they remember the first 20 minutes. 
online is exactly the same. How do you want them to feel? Do you want them to reflect? Do you want them to experience? Do you want them to go away, practice, demonstrate? How do you want them to feel at the end of it? What do you want the skills to be when you walk away from it? And then when you've thought about that, you can think about what platform will do the things that you want to do. And if you can use Zoom, which in my opinion is the most intuitive platform, you can pretty much figure out most things. Um, there's obviously nuances and tweaks and weekly releases on many, many platforms, but it's a good starter for six. So think about the tools that you want. Is flip charting really important to you? Is group work really important to you? Is the ability to be able to play music continually really important to you? So you, um, you can jump on my campaign, um, hashtag no more boring webinars. <laughs> I, the chalk and days of chalk and talk are gone if you even if you're doing it as a marketing perspective you need to be engaging people you need to be having conversation and even if that's not them accessing their mic how do you get them to engage in other ways how do you get them to draw on your slides how do you create a dynamic heat map with your slides how do you get them polling how do you get them engaging and having a conversation with you in the virtual space it was it was interesting because when obviously everything kicked off back in march and most people were kind of taking their businesses online one of the biggest objections i kept on hearing was oh my my thing it won't work online it won't work on zoom and it's like no of course it fucking won't because it's a different platform it's a different medium you're actually going to have to adapt what you do and find a way to make it work online and i think a lot of people were either a little bit complacent or a bit lazy they didn't want to have to innovate and behave differently because all it is all i found with you know being online is the message is the same message doesn't change because that's the way education works if you want people to learn message has to say the same but for me for example i just had to be like a if it's even possible a 10 percent exaggerated version of myself just to make like the entertainment factor that little bit better through you know through zoom and online and simple things like you know i used to have boring white shelves and a boring white you know wall over on one side and all these books on the other and i was like I actually need to create something that looks like nice and appealing behind because literally everything now I'm going to be doing is going to be online, you know, and get my brand colors involved in it. And yeah. I think it's, it kind of feel a little bit like it's the lazy people who haven't been able to make that transition. Or the scared people, people yeah. that have gone, I could stand up in the front of a room of 200 people or I can do intimate workshops, but I don't know how to do online. So I'm just not going to, I'm going to wait for the storm to pass. And and the sad news is it's not going to pass. This storm is not going to pass. The, the, I, we, the, blah, blah, speak English. We're looking at the fourth industrial revolution. This is how it is going to be. This is how audiences are expecting to interact, how audiences are expecting to be taught. So you really do need to think about moving into the online space with some conviction and with some structure. Yes, backgrounds play a big part and, and I can go into a whole section about what your background says and the psychology of the background and the colour that you're using in your background and how that influences the atmosphere of the room. But that's on much deeper level. All of that is irrelevant if you haven't got space. If you're, if you're not occupying some online space, it, it really doesn't matter. And I was speaking to a client last week who who is really nervous, really I'm not sure we can do this. I'm not sure my audience and they're all of her audience are academics. I'm not sure they really appreciate this space. I'm probably just better off producing a book and sending it to them. I said, one 
listen to Robin, you should produce a book anyway. Um, but two, if you think about how much money face-to-face events cost to run, travel, overnight expenses, food, members of your team traveling with you, um, all of the flip charts, all of the what it costs to get your slides redone time and time again. If you take away all of that and you use an pl- online platform, all of that falls to your bottom line. It doesn't mean you should charge any less. You absolutely should charge the same, if not more, because actually delivering online is really intense and takes a lot more energy and a lot more focus. All of that extra money that you would be spending on travel has just become your profits. So when you it was weigh interesting, up like that, actually, because I, I did, I, you, you mentioned about kind of the costs and everything like that. And um, I had somebody, I was booked to do a conference this year and, and obviously it got postponed and they came back and started negotiating my fee. They still wanted to do it online. I was like, you're not, you're not paying for my travel. You're not paying for like me to be in London for two days or whatever it is. You're, you're paying for me to come and deliver a talk, which is going to transform your delegates' lives and their businesses no, the fee's not negotiable. And they kind of went, okay, that kind of makes sense. But I also think that kind of one of the reasons, again, that they that probably came from a place of fear where they're thinking, oh gosh, this isn't going to be the same experience as like the whole two-day big, you know, song and dance of a conference. So, but, and I think some people's perceptions is that kind of being online and doing webinars is just really boring. It's like really dull. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. So, how, again, like, you know, what what are some of the the tips that you can kind of give, like, in order to kind of help people to make their engagement? I know you talked about polls and the features in the software, but how else can people kind of make these uh, this online world a little bit more exciting? Start out with exciting instructions that you send out to people. If you send them, "Hi, I'm Lorna. I'm going to be delivering your event. Here's your link." They're going to be bored before they start. The experience with you as a trainer or as a consultant starts with your very first email. So if you send them out something, really looking forward to seeing you in a month. A month is a really long time away, but to do some prep, here's some videos, here's some stuff to read, here's some podcasts to listen to. It doesn't have to be your stuff. can be just people that you find really valuable. You're already building into their brain okay, this is going to be interactive. You're pre-framing them that they're going to have to do something. They're not just going to be able to flick on a webinar, put themselves off camera and eat their toast while you're in session. They're going to have to do some work. Then think about how you welcome people into the room. So if you've got a waiting room or you've got a lounge, which I strongly advocate for on any platform, put something sparky, take off the bog standard wording that's in there, put something interesting, put your 10 minutes early while you wait see if you can knit or see if you can do this Sudoku puzzle or something, something different that lets people know of the style of session they're walking into. And when they're in session, think about using multiple media. Not everybody learns in the same way. If you put up slide after slide after slide, people are going to get bored. Yeah. Try and um, switch between views at least every three minutes if not every 90 seconds. And we reckon that the attention span is about 90 seconds before people start going, oh, look, my email box is starting to ping. Bring people back in. And the best way to do that is transitioning from slides to not slides. So what you're effectively doing is standing at the front of the room with my slides and then dropping your slides means I'm stepping into the room. I'm coming to talk to you as individuals and looking around your grid calling on people, 
get them engaged in the conversation. If nobody's listening, shout out, Robin, you look like you were going to say something then. No, no, I wasn't. Well, you're unmuted now, so you might as well. <laughs> you know, getting people engaged, not giving them the option to sit back is really powerful. And making people put their videos on. There's a there's a very strong tradition, people that use Teams for work. The habit is to turn it into a video, um, into a phone call. And you're just using the Wi-Fi for a phone call. Nobody's got their videos on. But actually have some eye contact with people, have some connection. It's really powerful to be sitting in somebody's living room with them. When do you ever meet a client in their living room? When do you ever get that level of detail with somebody? So really making that count and and starting a conversation. Oh, Robin, I see you've got a camper van there. Is that something you like to do? Getting them involved in a conversation will, will really, really help. Show videos. Think about music. If you've sent them away to do a task, play some music in the meantime. Um, think about the multifaceted way that people people learn um, and you'll definitely make it an immersive experience um, rather than a boring like I did a, um, I, I was uh, at a conference, I spoke at a conference recently. I did a keynote and I was, um, I was first up, but they'd, um, they'd hired a, um, a comedian to compare the event. And do you know what? She really lifted the energy of it. And I think that, you know, where where you might be saving some money in kind of physical events and things like that, and you may think, oh, actually, we don't have the budget to get a compare to come in and do our event like that. Actually, well, no, those are the areas now where perhaps you can kind of flip some of that budget into finding good, you know, really interesting, vibrant people to kind of bring the, the thing to life. Yeah. And like you said, they also kind of um, cycled between my slides, me, close up which was a bit scary but also further back and the grid view they were doing that i don't know what, how they controlled it all but it was it was kind of doing it seemingly automatically um and it just made the whole thing really and, and it kept me alive as well as a presenter because i was like oh what's coming up next you know there's something you know and it was it gave me lots of stuff to kind of um uh, think about and talk about as well i want to change tack slightly so obviously you've you've um you haven't been doing this forever have you you've only set this business up sort of recently a couple of years it two years now Two, two and a bit years ago. My my event my my events has been running for fourteen months. And forgive my dog attacking the post box in the background if you can hear that. <laughs> Can't hear it. It's absolutely Good. fine. Good for him. That's the whole joy of working from home and what <laughs> yeah. happens on, on Zoom and stuff like that now. So absolutely. Um, so yeah, 14 months is my my events. So we're still relatively new and in this iteration, seven months. Yeah. And how's how how's things going? Because I mean that's a what's the journey look like as an entrepreneur? Uh, yeah, I'm sure everybody says a roller coaster. Um, so this business started very organically um, and it really was a couple of mentors said, hey, you organize stuff for people. Can you do a couple of my events? And it really roller coasted from there. Um, and it was very much face to face events. And I purely do business events. So I didn't do parties and that sort of stuff. It was workshops, webinars, conferences in the face to face space. Um, and in January, we were booked out for 12 months. I had one more space for one more client to take on for the year of 2020. And then obviously March happened. Um, and I sat with my wife. We were skiing actually and it was our first skiing holiday since I left my big job um so that was a real milestone for us that was one of my vision board goals and we were sat in the chalet and I just said you know I'm I'm not sure I'm going to have a business when we get home and if I don't do something very quickly this could all go belly up um and and literally within three days 
I didn't sleep very much and um, shifted the entire business to an online platform. So the clients that we could keep um, that had already kind of signed up with us, we reassured them and transitioned them seamlessly into an online space. Um, and then I set about really just giving people stuff, videos, um, lunchtime workshops, information sheets. And I just thought if if I'm still learning all of this stuff, other people can be learning alongside me. Um and yeah, we've really pretty much scaled quickly that I just took on our sixth team member yesterday. Wow. They're not all full time, full time because, as I mentioned earlier, the online space is intense. So hosting four hours a day is as much as I'll let them do because I want them to be on peak performance and I want them to last into the next three years. I don't want yeah. to burn them all out too quick. But yeah, there's now six of us running online events, uh, UK, Europe and um, in the US. So we're, we've gone global. And I suppose presumably months. that's the beauty of kind of the way the business is set up. You can kind of scale it up and down depending on how much demand there is. If there's no events, well, I guess you don't have to use the team, but yeah. within your interest to kind of fill the books up, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I know that December will be a fairly soft month for us but that's okay because it means I can plan for next year and all the team can kick back with their families and we'll ramp up again in January we're really starting to see the transition of the event season so seminars usually happen in the sort of autumn winter and then you get the summer awards season which we're just starting to get inquiries for now so we're really tracking virtual events with the face-to-face event season that's just starting to come through so if people are thinking about summer events now is the time to be planning them oh wow so you're, you're already booking for summer next year amazing that's that's such a success story and I hope that people can take away something from this that you know you, you took the proactive approach why well, we see it when you're challenged with something you've got a choice haven't you mm-hmm. you can either sit there and panic and procrastinate or you can actually do something about it and create the success that you want to create and obviously that that worked out all right for you didn't it and is it terrifying? Absolutely. Is the thought of losing your entire business literally overnight? Absolutely terrifying. But it was, I have put too much energy into this to take this line down. I'll give it a crack. If it doesn't work, at least I can say I've tried. And kind of putting my big girl pants on and saying, right, hi, clients, this is what we're now doing. Nobody panic. I've got it under control. Somebody tell me where the control is. I really need to, <laughs> we need to sort something out. Um but yeah, and so it, obviously, it's like scary. you, you and you and um, your wife have obviously been on a bit of a roller coaster generally because obviously you had that you know you hadn't long set up the business you'd left a job that you'd been in for what fifteen plus years as a forensics officer in the police. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us about that. How did you? Well, let, let's rewind the clock. So, what what got you into the police in the first place, and then what got you out of it? Because I know there's a real story behind that. <laughs> yeah, and I'll try and tell it without crying. That'll be a first. Um, so. Way back when I was that kid at school that was expected to go to Cambridge, Oxford, you know, that annoying kid that found school relatively straightforward, did a lot of sport, blah, blah, blah. Um, And then kind of at 18 got fed up of being talked at and this level of expectation. So on my way back from a university interview, saw an advert for um, a forensics officer in the paper thought I'll give that a punt it's got to be worth a shot um much to my dad's horror um I got in because he was a serving police officer at the time um so I literally left school in the June and started working for the police in the September um at the ripe old age of 19 and two days so really young um and worked my way up through forensics um I worked 
for everything from burglaries to sexual assaults to firearms offences um, and then up to murders and then was running the forensics team in the north of London um, was on shift as normal and that was really when the, the um, budget cuts started to hit the police so they got rid of all their photographers they handed all the photographic responsibility to the scene examiners and said you know you're kind of going there anyway so you might as well just do two jobs um, so I was going to my seventh body in seven days um, which which was fairly intense but also not unusual at the time and I had a pretty traumatic time there where I ended up having to coach a probationer through his first body after being left at the scene on his own. And it wasn't a particularly awful scene, but for the first time that night, I started to dream about his face. And it had never happened to me in all the years that I'd been working up to this point. And and I started to think, mm, I'm not sure this is quite right. I think something might be up. And I started getting really upset on my way into work. Um, that Sunday dread that some people talk about yeah. was everyday dread, was even finishing a shift. I'd be dreading the next shift before I've even gotten there. And I spoke to my boss at the time and I just said, look, I am not doing well at all. I, I just need a break from bodies. I don't want to go off sick. I don't want to be you know, put on restricted duties. I just need to not do bodies for a little while. I just need a bit of a rest. I could feel I was starting to crack. Um, and the response I got was less than helpful. Um, it was completely unsupportive. And long story short, you don't get to pick and choose what you go to. So that was kind of a F this moment um, for me. Um, and back then, my big fearless decision was just to get promoted if I get promoted I'll be away from frontline and then that will be that problem solved um, and was fortunate enough to do that um, and then I took over running the forensics lab for the Met so the Met's the only force in the country that has an in-house laboratory I thought this would be good this is me out of the line of fire um, little did I know I was walking into 160 odd staff all the contracts and procurement that go with that all of the HR that goes with that because they don't have an HR department in that uh, in the Met anymore um, and actually it was a massive job for one person and I was working ridiculously long hours, bringing it all home with me, still working at home. And it really started to sink in when we went to the um, Lions tour in New Zealand um, 2017. I came back from four weeks off and I still had all my annual leave allocation. I just burned through wow. all the time that I'd incurred. So maybe that's not quite right. Um, and again, I started to feel really quite overwhelmed and my body started to react to the stress. My weight was massively fluctuating. I was lucky if I got three hours sleep a night. Um, I started to get really bad stress eczema that was OK when it was on my body. But when it starts to creep up my neck and onto my face, started to get very insecure about that. Um, I suffered with stress incontinence which at the age of 33, having had no children, wasn't so much fun. Um, and I think if you were on the outside looking in, you wouldn't have noticed. I think I very much kept a lid on it. Um, and after asking for some support and some flexi hours, or can I, I'm doing really long days anyway, can I just have an extra Friday or a Monday or a Wednesday? I got told pretty much if you had kids, then we'd have to let you, but seeing as you don't, we're not going to. 
And that was kind of the nail in the coffin for me. That was the the moment. And actually, it was my wife that said to me, if you don't stop soon, you are going to be institutionalised and I will be putting you there. You are going to break. And she could see all the signs. And it was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Um, but I wrote my um, resignation letter. I handed it in. And I can remember sitting in the meeting with my manager, like, physically shaking as I hand over this bit of paper and I just said I'm done I I'm at the end of my tether and I'm done and we'd done our sums so we worked out we could survive for a while on just Sharon's money so you know I didn't completely make the leap um un- ill-advised um but it was still a big risk. I've had a job since I was 14 and to not have permanent employment was just terrifying. Um, and that first month when the end of the month rolled around and I checked my bank account and kind of went, hmm, nothing, there's nothing in it. I've literally got 200 quid to last me. Well, that's a kick up the backside to get my business rolling. And I'd really better make a go of this because it's, it's shit or bust. It's that kind of, it has to happen now. Um, and that really drove me and thankfully um when I started up my my weddings was my first business um I secured my client in the first four weeks which was just enough to keep the business ticking over for a year that was my my goal is to, for the business not to cost me any money for a year um and in that first couple of months I was a Tesco's delivery driver I was a barista um I worked in a little corner shop anything I could do just to keep just enough money coming in that it protected my animal brain that's all I needed was just enough money in my bank account so that I didn't have to keep going to my wife please can I have 20 quid so that I can go you know I didn't had not enough money to buy coffee everything was on such a tight budget um and then yeah it just catapulted from there really I think I see it as a pattern with a lot of entrepreneurs (laughs) and business owners where they kind of it's almost like you're pushed to the wall and it forces you to kind of take you have to take that step I can't remember who it was but there's a famous quote isn't there about you know if you're if you're going to jump off a cliff and then you've got to build the airplane on the way down sort of thing it's kind of like that and it's actually those are the most successful businesses where you kind of force almost forced to do it if you actually overthink it and try and do it for too long and I bet if you tried to do it as a side hustle it would have taken you know twice five times or ten times as long as actually it ended up taking yeah and and to be able to I mean that's quite phenomenal to have one client just about kind of get you by over 12 months I mean that's phenomenal isn't it and you think of all of the stress and worry managing 160 people 15 years worth of like you know institutionalized stuff and one person comes along to kind of save the day for you with your business yeah what a great start yeah where did it go from there everywhere and 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 upwards um so almost overnight my health improved um so within three months I was sleeping eight hours a night and that for me was a huge victory cash no cash business no business to be healthy was my primary objective um and the wedding business was ticking over nicely we were increasing year on year um and my lgbt niche status was really starting to increase so I got I was on featured on loads of podcasts I've been featured on um, various different magazines and I'm still getting requests now um 
to feature in various areas. Obviously, weddings has kind of ground to a halt at the moment. So my clients that were supposed to be for this summer and next, we've we've moved. Um, and inquiries that we're getting now, we're looking at 2022 for the next safe space. Um, so my my weddings is still running, just in a much quieter way. Um, I'm still providing value and content to the people that need it. And then it was the year after that that people started saying, well, you organise weddings, so you can help me out with my events. And and then my my event was born. Um, and it's just gone from strength to strength. Don't get me wrong, I have crappy days. I have days where I think, oh, my God, I've got to do this again. <laughs> talk to <laughs> us about those crappy days. Like, <laughs> this is the stuff that people just don't talk about or don't, or don't think that yeah. they can talk about. But actually, like there is a there is like a, a downside to running a business as well. I mean, the, the upsides far outweigh it, but there are the downsides you've got to be like well aware of when you get into it. So don't necessarily have to go into too much detail, but what sort of things have you experienced or challenges? And how, and more importantly, how would you sort of advise people to work their way through them and come out the other side? So I struggle a lot with event hangover um, and it is a real thing. So if I've run a whole day event or it, when this is face to face or online, actually, the following day, because I'm switched on for the whole day, the next day, I feel like I've literally done four bottles of wine on my own. I'm dragging myself through the day I don't want to get up I don't want to have meetings I don't want to speak to anybody and I am naturally an introvert so to be hosting takes a lot of energy for for me to be connecting with many many people takes a lot of energy for me so I really am conscious now and will so one of my biggest biggest challenges is keeping on top of my emails and keeping on top of my diary I'm just terrible at it and so the the worse it gets the worse the more I don't do it um so my first thing was to get a VA and she looks after everything for me now and she actively says somebody's asking for a call on this day but you've got a full day event the day before so I'm going to say no or I'm going to put it in the afternoon which do you want so she really makes sure that I have headspace the day after an event and my diary is full of things that I can do on autopilot that don't take a lot of energy. I still have to do them. I still have to do something because I've still got a business to run. Um, but I can do things that protect me as well as moving the business forward. So I think it's been really conscious about what you really enjoy and lights you up and what you really hate and balance the two because there will be something in your business that you hate or really grinds on you and you really don't want to spend time doing it. I, th I think like anything though, energy levels like in, a, in anything is so important to kind of manage those. And I talk a lot about kind of seasonality, but um, I remember when I was growing the coaching practice, you know, exactly like you said, two coaching sessions, just about like, you know, two, two hour coaching sessions, plenty for me. There were days when I was like, oh, I'm busy. I'll try and book a third in there. And it used to, my wife used to think, call me like, you know, I can't remember what her nickname was, but it was uh, a vegetable basically along those sorts of lines. I was just mm -hmm. ruined by the evening and like a total waste of space to everybody. And like you said, even the next day, it would kind of roll over into the next day. Um, so watching your energy levels in business is, is super, super important. Um, and what, what's, um, so in terms of the future of um, my own my events or for you personally, what's, what's kind of coming up next for you? Um, we are definitely transitioning into conferences and seminars. That is going to be become a staple of our business. I am looking at bringing VR 
virtual reality cool. into events. So what's the next best thing if you can't be with people is if you can be virtually with people. So really making events properly immersive. That's on the cards. Um, and yeah, just to continue growing and serving, really, um, I have a phenomenal team around me and their skills are growing day on day. So the more people that we can help and and to some extent my level of success is if I work with you Robin for six months and then you say to me actually I feel confident enough to do those kinds of sessions on my own now can you just help me with the big ones great absolutely then my job is done um so yeah continue to continue to grow and and empower people if I can get everybody in the UK to be delivering in some capacity online by the end of 2021 that sounds like global domination to me that's that's the <laughs> top line excellent and you you have a um I should have probably asked you this earlier on but you've got a six-step um event model from concept mm. delivery haven't you is that um something you'd be able to can you walk us through the six steps and keep it to two minutes? Is that oh, possible? Because yes. <laughs> we're coming towards the end of it, but I need to, I, kind of, I'm desperate to like get lots of information out of you for, yeah. for everyone listening. Um, explore and vision are the first two. And we kind of talked about that earlier on. And when I work with my clients, it's what do you want to deliver and how do you want to do it? And the vision is very much how you do want your people to feel by the time you walk away with, from it. Um, the next E is execute. So only once you've got the vision and the idea for how it's going to look, do you think about booking stuff, whether that's your um, online platform, whether that's a ticketing agent or, you know, the, the functionality part of it. EVEN is the numbers section. That's when we start to talk about how we're going to sell the tickets, how we're going to get bums on seats, what's the marketing strategy. Um, and that's very much, I would say, to anybody that wants to start moving online, start building your tribe first, get a load of people interested in what you do, and then it makes filling bums on seats easy. If you, obviously, if you're taking your business to corporate, that's going to be even easier because they're going to fill the bums on seats for you. Yeah. Um, T is the finishing touches. So that's when you can start to think about slide deck, music, graphics. And by breaking it down into these steps means you don't start doing the graphics before you've got the vision right. And, and you really have to break it down into chunks so it doesn't become overwhelming in your head. So once you've got your touches, finishing touches didn't work. So we just went with touches. Um, it's the final S is showtime. And that's where you really start to plan your walkthroughs for the actual session, your timings for the actual sessions, your transitions. And if you're using a production company, that's when they start to map out camera angles and who's going to be filling the screen and when transitions between the two. Um, showtime is a good bit. That's the bit that everybody sees on the outside, but all the other steps I was going to say because most people are just like start zoom up press go and, and away we go but they don't realize that there's all of this planning and execution which has to go beforehand yep absolutely so in, in terms of kind of um that six-step process i understand you have kind of a um a sort of a mini program as such where you kind of uh, help people to set up plan and set up their event in 12 weeks talk to us a little bit more about that Yes. So um, I do have it as an infographic um, and I do have it as a um, grab guide. Um, if you head over to myandmyevents.com and sign up to the mailing list, you'll get that. Um, and it walks you through how to plan 
and fill. Um, and it's really time specific and scheduled. Um, so it will tell you what to do on which weeks. So you can backwards engineer your event effectively. If you say, I want to do my event on January the 15th, you can work the 12 weeks back. So you know at which point you need to be doing everything. 12 weeks is about right if you're marketing to a cold or a warm audience. If you're going to somebody you already know, you could probably turn it around in four by work on 12. Um, and in November, I will actually be doing um, a free introduction series on Zoom um, and we'll be walking in five days. We'll walk through the six, six step method and we'll put in the time markers. So if anybody wants more details on that, sign up on the mailing list and I'll give you um, priority access to that. Um, spaces I'll keep to about 20 because I'd like people to be able to ask questions, get their specific um, questions answered. But yeah, we'll go through the six step method in 12 weeks. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure that we share a link to that in the show notes as well so that everybody can get signed up to it. And obviously in the Facebook group, I've tagged you into it as well, Laura. So I hope everybody can find you in there and ask you those um, any pertinent questions which they've got. Uh, you're on um, LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram as well under My My Events. Um, on Instagram is the only weird one where my my underscore events, but everything else is my my events. Um, Lovely. And the website's myomyevents.com, isn't it? So we'll make sure that we share that in the show notes as well. Awesome. There's a ton of value there. And I'd encourage everybody to go and sign up to the newsletter and um, get hold of that um, that download that uh, Lorna's just outlined there as well. Because I think there's, there's a, if you're thinking about, I mean, I use events in my business and the ROI which I've got from events is um, probably more than any other platform or medium that I've invested in, especially over the last sort of six to 12 months with everything that's been going on so it's well worth it um, and doing events properly I think we're through now that zoom fatigue phase phase aren't we and now everybody's like calm down a little bit there's actually a few fewer events out there mm -hmm. and the ones that are out there and have stuck around are actually much better obviously because Lorna's been helping them to um to, to put their events together so uh, thank you ever so much Lorna I've got one more question for you which hopefully isn't a curveball um, we're going to hop into the fearless business time machine it's a bit like the DeLorean, but much better in Back to the Future. And we're going to, you get to punch in the dates. We're going to go back X number of years and you're going to have a word with Lorna back then. So when was it and what would you say to her? Uh, it would probably be the year that I left the job. I think all of that stuff that happened had value and taught me something. Definitely taught me my boundaries. But it would be saying leave earlier. And you think you worked hard in the first three months, you have no idea. And actually now I can see I could have worked harder. So I would literally lock myself away in a room for three months and bust a gut, get it up and running and my business flying faster sooner. So yeah, work harder and buy shares in Zoom because it's going to be big in a couple of years. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. I can't remember what it was. I think it was Dan Priestley when I asked him that question. He said, yeah, I'd have gone back to 2003 and invested $5,000 in Facebook. I was like, yeah, you got me there. It's, yeah. it's, that's a good answer because that would be worth probably about $230 million or something now. But um, so, yeah, absolutely. And and like, I mean, I, I've kind of, I've had, I've been very fortunate to kind of watch from the sidelines as you've grown my, my events and um, uh, I know how hard you have worked. So I think you're being a bit hard on yourself there as well. I, I don't really see many people who could have worked harder than you, you worked when you were setting that business up and getting your first clients on board and how much you pushed yourself. So it's a real credit to kind of, um, I think you 
the results which you're now getting in my my events as well where it's justly deserved so um so anyway uh hugely appreciate you coming on Lorna and sharing your pearls of wisdom around um online events i hope it's inspired one or two i'm sure it's inspired one or two people to take their their business online um and look at things slightly differently um thank you you're very welcome it's an absolute pleasure if people have got questions chuck them in the comments and and i'll do my best to answer them later on this evening 